G'day everybody, Matt Ellis with you for the latest edition of the Cricket Library podcast and today an absolute thrill to be chatting to our first West Indian guest, former captain Jimmy Adams. And Adams goes for it. He gets a puck, pointing at point, and it may go to the fence again, it does. Still two slips for Lee. Slow ball, and well picked up and well played by Adams. It became a full toss. He didn't try to hit it too hard. He made sure he got it into the gap, but he timed it well enough to go over the fence. Four follows a four. Jimmy shares about the origins of his passion for cricket, scoring a test match double hundred, batting for five and a half hours to win a game against Pakistan, the key ingredients to him scoring runs on the subcontinent, the memorable 1999 series between the West Indies and Australia, captaincy and much, much more, including the three people he'd most like to invite to the Nets. It's time to sit back, relax and enjoy the Jimmy Adams story on the Cricket Library podcast. Very warm welcome to the Cricket Library podcast. Jimmy Adams, thanks so much for joining us. No worries, my, my pleasure, man. Uh, it, it's great, great. You're, you're our very first West Indian guest on the program and really love finding out uh, the origins of people's passions for cricket and uh, we've had people from different countries, different cultures, and really like to know what it was like for you growing up in the West Indies. Uh, so I grew up in rural Jamaica and in a nutshell, all the kids, all the boys growing up, we, we, we sort of did cricket and football, basically. Yeah. Uh, six months of cricket, six months of football. And I came from a, a, a family, or my dad's side of the family, that had a passion for cricket. So you grew up listening to cricket stories and, you know, you watched your dad sort of really get into the game. He would listen to test matches on the radio, as we did in those days. And um, so, yeah, between, between sort of like the community that I lived in where all the kids my age just played sports, but specifically cricket and football. So I, I got kind of stuffed into both sports as well. And then the, the school system took over. I played competitive cricket in primary school and high school and sort of progressed from there. So it, it was a bit of like national culture as well as something that was, was spoken of a lot in the, in the family circle as well. So a combination of both. And yeah, by the time I got to high school, uh, you know, two years into high school, I was, I was like well into competitive cricket and yeah, developed a, a real passion for it. And when did you think uh, this is something that that you could play at the next level? Like, was was there a real uh, hunger from early on to try and pursue the dream of of one day representing the West Indies? Ah. Uh... I think, I think it was it was sort of something that I I can't remember quite well, you know, sort of when it kicked in, but but I know that it it became a, a sort of it became real when I had to give up soccer 
mm. at 16. That, that was when, you know, it, that was like a big cost for me because I really loved soccer and I played a lot of it in school. But I had to make a choice at 16 and, and walking away from soccer was, was something that sort of crystallized the fact that this is not a joke anymore. It's, it's, it's costing me a lot. Mm. Um, and, and that sort of coincided with getting to an age where you, 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 I guess that's probably when I can first start. I'd always dreamed about playing for the West Indies, but that's like, you know, child stuff, you, you daydream and, and all the rest of it. But, yeah. um, I, I think, uh, playing at a, at a club with Jeffrey Dujan, who was like a mentor to me and, and, and practicing with him and watching him every day from the age of about 12 or 13, I kind of measured myself against him and, and, you know, did I achieve what he achieved at, at a similar level? And, and yeah, so I use him as a measuring stick all, all along. But I, I think when, when I had to give up football, that, that was when it became crystal clear that, that this is not a joke anymore. It's, it's costing me a hell of a lot. And, you know, as a result, I, I want to go as far as I can go in this, in this sport. Yeah, yeah. A, a big sacrifice to, to make. Um, I know for a lot of kids in Australia, it's a similar kind of thing. They they grow up playing a winter sport and a summer sport and having having to make that decision for which which path you're going to go down is 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 a tough one. Do do you remember do you remember hearing the news that you'd been selected for the West Indies to play against South Africa? What, what do you remember about the emotions of of hearing your name read out in a team like that? Well, the news came to a phone call. I was actually in Barbados at the time playing uh, an A-team series against England. And uh, the room attendant said that there was a phone call, a uh, telephone that was just outside the dressing room, hanging up on the wall. And it was a chairman of the selectors saying that they'd selected me into the, the squad against South Africa. Uh, yeah, it was... It was I, I can't remember... I can't remember that particular um, period. As in, I can't remember how I felt at the time. I was, I was obviously focusing on a on a on a first class game when when the call came through. Uh, it, 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 I mean, it's a long time ago now when you think about it. But one uh, of the things that I can remember is is just the anticipation of getting that maroon cap. Yeah. Uh, for some reason, I, I I don't know why that sticks in my memory, but I, I can remember thinking to myself, I, I, I'm going to get one of those maroon caps that I've I've you know been watching Clive Lloyd, Dave, and Michael Holding, and all of them wear maroon caps, and and for some reason that that that's the the only thing that I can remember feeling at the time is that they're going to give me a maroon cap, and I'm going to have a maroon cap. <laughs> um, but it was, yeah. It, uh, listen, it, it 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 was, yeah. It was a, it was a good feeling. It's something that I'd I'd i played eight years of first class cricket before getting that phone call. So, um, mm. yeah, and, it was a it was a bit of a journey, and, and probably an indication of how strong the West Indies were in that in that period, that eight year period where you're playing first class cricket. Uh, 
West Indies cricket was really uh, at the peak of their powers. It, it was, but it had taken me a long time to learn consistency with two mm. Um I, I don't think it was a bad a bad waiting period mm. for, for having to learn that. And the truth is, you know, uh, it, it was also, in, in hindsight, perfect timing because it, if I'd hit that kind of form at any point before that, there, there wouldn't have been a space for me. Because yeah. it, the team was locked down, there, there were no spaces for anybody in, in, in that batting lineup. So it it sort of came together at the right time. Uh, so yeah, th- th- there's no issues with me on the on the timing. You know, I just wasn't consistent enough. I'd shown glimpses over the the, the previous eight years that there was something there, but it needed to be put together and presented in, in a way that removed all doubt. And it took it took a while for that to happen. Yeah, and a, a pretty satisfying debut for you as well. Four wickets in the game. Uh, Hansi Cronje, your first Test match wicket. That's bad batting. That's bad. That's bad batting. <laughs> <laughs> that's bad batting. You <laughs> yeah. long up some full time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, listen, listen. I'll take them, but it was bad batting. <laughs> And, and and what what about facing someone like an Alan Donald? Like the West Indies were known uh, for their their quality fast bowlers. How did Alan Donald stack up against the the crop of players you'd been playing in first class cricket? What was that like facing him? Well, it, it was a challenge, but I, again, listen, Alan Alan, great, great, great bowler, uh, and I had the pleasure of playing with him at the Free State. Um, just after I retired from international cricket. But at the end of the day, I grew up facing some of the best in the world. Mm. So it, it, it that 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 I mean, it was it was more curiosity, as in you know, I'd, I'd never played against him before. But but you know, and there was respect there because we, we knew how good he was. But yeah, I wasn't losing sleep. For any other reason, given the, the diet of fast bowling and quality fast bowling that I'd grown up on in the Caribbean, you know, in the ten years previously, yeah, if and, that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And and getting some runs in the second innings, did you did you feel like you belonged? Yeah, I mean that that that, that innings really helped settle me. Uh, you, you, you're always asking yourself the question when you when you go into a new environment if. if this is really, you know, where you should be. Mm. And I think that, that inning sort of calmed my nerves a little bit and, and went a long way to reassuring me that, that I was at a level that I could handle. Yeah. Yeah. And and you mentioned the pace bowling. Uh, that was the diet that you kind of grew up on facing good quality fa- uh, fast bowling. A couple of years into your career, you go to India and you're man of the series in India, um, and that's a that's a venue like a part of the world which is known for their quality spin bowlers. Uh, what was your method like? How how do you prepare for a, for a tour like that? And what do you think were the things that made you so successful batting in India? Well. I- but like a lot of lads in, in in the Caribbean during my I grew up on a on a, a, a fair amount of slow bowling in, in the Caribbean on different types of wickets. So I mean spin from both ends wasn't uncommon. 
you know, I, I played a lot of spin from school cricket right through. I think the first thing was that there wasn't a fear of it. Uh, uh, I think the biggest thing about India was just getting used to the conditions, the crowd, that kind of thing, the, the, the style of play that they had and, and that, you know. And then just applying basic common sense when you're batting, you know, get yourself in, be patient, you know, try and hit the bad balls for four or six if you get them or when you get them. Yeah, and and pretty much constructing your innings the way you do it anywhere else in the world. Ah, uh, maybe using different attacking strokes because you're playing spin, so a lot of sweeping, you know, cutting and late cutting and stuff like that. Versus maybe um, pulling and square cutting fast bowlers. You, you know what I mean? It, it, it's the construct didn't change. Um, what helped was a, a, I had a. a, a if I can remember, I had a I had a good knock in a warm up game just before the first test. I got a ninety something against India A uh, on a pitch that everybody said was was helpful spinners. So yeah. I, I went into the first test much confident, feeling good about myself. But, um, but by then, I was old enough to recognize the fact that I was in a good place and. Just wanted to make sure that I made it count. Uh, it, it, things still weren't that settled by way of batting in the team. We had a a young lad called Chandrapal who was was not in the eleven, and of of the of the batting lineup of Lara, Hooper, Atherton, and myself, I was the the, the most junior. Mm. So if and she she scored runs in the same warm up game, so if, if there was going to be a change. Um, I always figured that I'd be the first person that would be cut. So th- there was that incentive as well to, to get in. And then if you got in, really make sure that you made it count so that you wouldn't be the person. Because m- my first nine, eight or nine test matches, I-, I only played because Hooper was injured. Yeah. So, yeah. So you, you sort of, you, you sort of been in and out. You're scoring runs when you get an opportunity, but then you sit again when the big guns come back. So it was, that, you know, that upward pressure was, was, for me, it was a good thing. So a combination of that and, and you know, a decent scoring that warm-up game. I remember going into the, the first test feeling pretty good about myself. So I think a combination of those things helped. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and what what's it like being around that batting group? Like, uh, Carl Hooper, one of the one of the most pleasing on the eye batters uh, you'll ever see. Uh, Brian, Lara... Household name. Uh, what What are you learning from playing with those guys? Well, I think the best thing for me was that you knew, if, especially with with part of my history in the, in the first few test matches of of just coming in as a replacement for whoever was injured or not there, was that you had to make every innings count. Mm. Uh, um, and then you, you just, yeah, I, I mean, we're all, well, certainly myself and, and Hope and Bran, we were pretty good friends, but we sort of knew the score, you know, we were at the highest level. It's all about performance. The, the person that I really learned from, a lot from just watching and listening was Desmond Hill, who was like the, the, the senior. Mm. So himself and Richie were like the two senior batsmen. 
But I, I really enjoyed watching Desmond practice, and I, I used to try and make sure that I could watch him bat in the net. Um, even though he was a right-hander, just how he went about things. And, and yeah, I, I learned a hell of a lot just watching Desmond for two years. Um, and how he went about putting his innings together. And, and he, 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 you know, he was very open about talking about his game. And, uh, you know, I used to enjoy listening to how he looked at things and how he viewed things and, and how he approached his batting. Um, but with, 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 with like Brian and Shiv and Carl, we sort of all got on really well together, supported each other. But at the same time, we knew that this wasn't a joke, you know, this, this was, this was it. This was, there's nowhere to hide. We're here to perform. And, and so I think all of us had that, that mindset, you know, if we, if we get an opportunity, we're going to try and make it count in a big way. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, making it count again. Uh, a couple of years later, to uh, uh, the New Zealand uh, come and play, and you, you have success with both bat and ball. Um, you mentioned your first Test wicket was was bad batting. Um, five for seventeen against New Zealand. Uh, that can't have all been bad batting. But if you saw me ball, you would not be making a statement like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, like I said, I'll say it again. It looks good on the CV. I'll take it. But yeah. What's the best way to put it? Let me switch it around. There is no day, no way ever that I could ever get me out with what I bought. Ah, yes. Unequivocally, right? So, I, I listen, I, I don't want to talk about opposition, batting and, and all that of it because people might think that I'm, I'm trying to make other people look bad but yeah. I, I, I'll just suffice to say I'll take it I'm happy in the CV but mate like I, the, the, the person who was more surprised on that day was me yeah let's just leave it at that yeah no, that sounds fair <laughs> enough and, and and a double hundred in test cricket two, 208 not out in, in that series uh, to to craft an innings like that and and to reach that milestone uh, how much confidence does that give you in in your ability to to produce at that level? Yeah, listen, I, I enjoyed it. Um, it, it, it. It's something that I'll always feel proud about. The fact that you you know you, you hit a double hundred in, in Test cricket, it, it, yeah, it sort of, I guess, in a way, validate or, or in my mind helps to validate me as a as a as a as a batter um, conditions were very good for batting it was a drawn game I think 500 they had 500 and there were quite a few centuries in the game so I, again it's, it's more a case of you know getting in and uh, you know just making sure that you start count and the, the, the rate at which the runs were coming you sort of figured hey listen maybe I might be able to go beyond 100 here and, and it worked itself out that way. Uh, and, and, and for the amount of runs, it, it, yes, it's, it's special. It's, it's a special memory. There were many more, more difficult testings, some, some of which weren't even 100, that mm. I, from a batting perspective, I would put more value on. But yeah, just, just to, 
yeah, you know, it's a, it's a landmark, it's a double hundred in test cricket, and, and I'm proud of it, and, and I enjoyed it. And yeah, it was it was a good feeling on on the day. And yeah, it, it's it's there, and and it was fun. But I will say that that you know I've I've been in situations where I didn't even get to a hundred, but I would put more value on that innings and and the two hundred for, for levels of difficulty and and you know the, the, the sort of challenges that you had to overcome if that makes sense yeah did, did you want to skip to possibly one of those now uh, the the one wicket win against Pakistan um, where you bat for five and a half hours for 48 not out uh, you have yeah. a partnership with Courtney Walsh that lasts 72 minutes and interestingly in this so so you pass the total nine for 197 to, to get across the line in what was an unwinnable situation it seemed at times where when the wickets were falling, Wazim Akram was bowling out of his skin. Um, just a couple of things on that, the concentration involved there, but also also managing to keep Courtney Walsh away from the strike. He only had to face 24 balls in 72 minutes. Um, what, what are your reflections on, on that? You, just watching the highlights of it, you certainly looked overjoyed uh, at the at the end of the game, but can you talk us through uh, pulling something like that off? Well, it's a combination of so many things. I think first, firstly, it was there was by the, the, the pressure was on before that point when when Courtney came for me. I, I just personally, there's no pressure per se because it, it became or it was very clear to me at the time that. Listen, this the numbers are stacked in in Pakistan's favour. We, we 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 made a very simple plan, which was Courtney couldn't face Wasim. Yeah. Uh, so you know Courtney was comfortable. He said he was more comfortable. He couldn't face Wasim. So whoever else was bowling at the other end, it turned out to he had to face a lot of Saklain yeah. and uh, I think a little bit of Razak and. Wakar, mm-hmm. I think, uh, and and he said he was comfortable doing that. So that, in a nutshell, was the plan. Courtney, uh, I'll take all of Wasim, and you do the best you can at the other end. And I told him, I said, listen, I can't remember how many runs we had when he came into bat. But I said, listen, Courtney's going to take a while because we're going to refuse runs because you can't leave. I can't leave this end. Mm. And you, therefore, you know, and Wasim isn't bowling any freebies. So I might have to soak up balls, you know, and think, you're at the other end, you know, whatever you get will take, but it has to work out that I'm facing Wasim coming to the start of his overs. And he said, fine. And and what can I say? It's just, that that was just the plan. And and, and when I said there was no pressure on, I, I remember being a state of mind at the time where, listen, either it works or it doesn't work. It's like there's it's no sense, and and because you're in the moment and you, you you're actually playing, it it must have been hell for the, the lads watching. Yeah, for, for us out there who are actually yeah, you're know saying for for us who are out there doing it, it's the, the plan started to take over, and it's just it's sort of ball by ball. Um, I remember the crowd being very unhappy 
<laughs> in the early stages of the partnership when we refused runs and because they didn't quite understand yeah. what the I guess what the plan was and so on. But the sort of closer we inched to it, um, they, they sort of started to get it. And by the time we needed like ten runs, that that they, they were like finally fully on board. And then we had we had loads of luck as well. There were two instances where Courtney and myself were in the same creek. <laughs> and Pakistan somehow managed to throw the ball away. In, you know, like Sackling didn't collect the ball on the half volley. It was a poor throw to him and I scrambled back. And then another instance where we're in the same crease again and Courtney managed to scramble back. And then um, Wazim nicked me off and the umpire said, not out. I wasn't walking. <laughs> and then and then Sackling nicked off Courtney on his inside edge, and, and the umpire said, not out again. And, you know what I mean? So it's like a combination of, of quite a few things. So, you know, it, but it, it, it was, yeah, it was drama. It was, what can I say? It's test cricket, man. You know what, what it's like. You yeah. know, it, 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 can, it can get close on that fifth day. Um, but it, it meant a lot to us uh, um, as, a, as a team. Certainly for me, the, uh, you know, I grew up watching... I always thought that Pakistan were the best team in the world from sort of the late 80s through to, to mm. you know, the sort of mid-90s when you had Wazim, Wakar, Mushi, um, Said Anwar, Inzi, um, Salim Malik. To me, the, 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 you know, it, they're always like the most talented team going. I, you know, sometimes they don't put it together because they can't quite play it together, but talent-wise, you, you, you know, it's just like, Proper cricketers, yeah. So to come away with a with a series win with a young West Indies team, you know, was meant a lot to me, and and that innings meant a lot. And yeah, it was yeah, it was only forty eight runs, but in the context of where we were, I really enjoyed it. Um, it's hard work, and and yeah, you had your fair share of luck, but that's 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 life for you, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and uh. The rivalry between the West Indies and Australia, uh, uh, the Frank Worrell Trophy, uh, hotly contested uh, for for a long period there, and and one of the great series, uh, and we and we do have a lot of Australian listeners that would be very interested to hear your your reflections on this. That the nineteen ninety nine Australian tour of the West Indies uh, started out with a a fairly dominant win for the Australians, uh, and then. Yeah, 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 and and then Brian Lara just owns it <laughs> for a couple of test matches there. A- another nail biter, actually. The I think it was the third test at Bridgetown. Um, Brian Very, yeah. Brian gets one hundred and fifty not out, and you guys win by one wicket, and then yeah, the the series gets locked up. Uh, two all uh, after the St John's test, yes. and, and then then the ODI yes. series is three all as well um, with 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 a tie, a seven game series, three wins each and a tie. Yeah. So, um, what 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 was um, what was the thinking like in 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 the West Indies camp at the time? Um, what what did it mean to you guys to? To put the Australians under so much pressure, and 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 that Australian team at the time were were probably at the top of their game. Well, there's so many undercurrents to that series. I don't think we have enough time to examine all of them. But but I will say 
just to give a bit of context to, to Brian's performance, that the team had come back from South Africa having been whitewashed in five test matches. And none of the batsmen had really done much of anything. And then we got beaten badly in the first test in Trinidad. And pretty much the, 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 the selectors, it, 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 maybe if we'd lost the second test in Jamaica, they would have removed Brian as captain. Mm. Um, Brian and I had a, a sort of heart-to-heart in Jamaica before the test match, the test match began because I had some questions about the team that was selected and, you know, trying to get some some background on, you know, what the selectors were thinking. Yeah. Just as a friend, you know, like, Brian, what's the thinking behind what we're doing here, you know? Yeah. And and he basically said, listen, mate, you know, I went into the selection meeting and they gave me this 11 and said, this is your team. He said it was the shortest selection meeting he'd ever been in. Like, they gave him the team and that's it. Mm. You know, you yourself are on trial as captain kind of thing. Wow. And I think like, 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 like all... Well, I shouldn't say all because I don't know, but I, you hear so many stories of truly great performers and performances that, that have come on the back of a, what would seem at the time like a, a situation where you're standing on a cliff edge. Mm. And the, the pressure he was under, to me, it sort of adds to, to his performance in, in that series. Uh, everybody raves about the, the innings in Barbados, but Brian puts more emphasis on the, 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 the double hundred in Jamaica because of what had happened leading into the test match. And he, he needed a response then and there. And, and uh, mere mortals can't in a sense, determine an outcome like that, whereas the great players can. They, 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 you put them behind the eight ball and, and they just say, okay, fine. Mm. I, I'll show you. And, and, and they conjure up something, usually something great. So from that point of view, it was, uh, it's, uh, it's probably one of the best pieces of batting across a series that I've seen because of... And I'm not taken away from other great performances by other great players yeah. who might have been under similar pressure, you, you know, but I, I can only speak about a performance that I know of and saw and was a part of. Mm. So the, the runs that he scored, I mean, a lot of his, his, his run scoring feats have come on the back of something that he needs to, to prove right away. You know, he goes to Sri Lanka and for the first time his batting average is below 50 and, and everybody's writing about his batting average dipping below and and he gets 700 runs in three test matches against Merlita Run. <laughs> Stuff like that. You know, it's, it's yeah, it, it, it's, it's kind of strange like that. And, and yeah, his, 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 his batting in that series was probably the best answer that he could have given. Yeah. yeah. A group that in his mind had, had, had lost faith in him and were getting ready to, to remove him from the, the captain's the team. So in in that way it was it was it was great batting on, on on his part. Listen, Australia were the number one team in the world. We'd just come back from South Africa 
um, having an artistic there in a big way. So to be leaving Barbados, leading Australia 2-1, going into Antigua, I mean, it was, yeah, it was just a situation that we couldn't have envisioned um, going into the series. And, and everybody played the part. Brian, obviously, score runs. Uh, Walsh and Ambrose were unbelievable throughout that series. Yeah. I think Courtney Walsh was the highest wicket taker in the series. Nobody remembers that, but he just <laughs> kept trundling in and yeah. just kept getting wickets. And, and um, yeah, people talk about Brian's 100 in Barbados, but there was a bowling performance by, I think, Courtney Walsh to get Australia out in the second innings to give us time mm. just to have a, a dart at the front. And, yeah, it was it was it was it was just a really hard fought series. Uh, I think yeah, uh, not taking anything away from anybody's performance, but I do I do think that if, if Australia had had a pitch in one, the job might have been a little bit more difficult for us. Yeah, um, Sheehan was coming back from a shoulder injury and. To be fair to him, I don't think he was bowling as well as we had seen him before or he bowled after. But it's just at that time, his shoulder wasn't right. And um, yeah, he wasn't the same force as, as he had been previously. And I think they dropped him for the last test yeah. in, in, um, in Antigua as well. So, you know, there are a lot of things happening for both teams, but it, it was a proper series. You know, it just went back and forth. And, you know, I, I think most players came out of that series you know, creditably, you know, everybody sort of popped up at some point. Yeah. And, um, yeah, Brian sort of walked away as, as a sort of top performer overall. But, yeah, the, the, on both sides, there were some, some really good performances made. And, and yeah, it, it sort of really, I think it was a good sell for, for test cricket in general, to be honest. Oh, definitely, definitely. Yeah, it's it's on on the list of series. Like most Australians my age, we look back at that as mm-hmm. as when Test cricket was really, uh, like, and mm-hmm. not that not that it's not anymore, but that the, the certain certainly that series is one that we we remember very fondly for for, mm-hmm. for all the right reasons. And um, you get to captain in the ODI series. Brian's out. Um, uh, he's a late withdrawal from one of the games and it ends up being 30 overs yeah. aside um, and it's a tie. What, can you can you mm-hmm. explain the pandemonium uh, at, at the end of that game for those listeners who, who may not be aware of what we're talking about? Yeah, so... Let me see if I can quickly put in the word. So it's, it's the old stadium in Guyana, so people are standing around the boundary, believe it or not, in, in 1999. Uh, and so there's a huge section of the of the watching public that can literally just step onto the field. Mm. And the basically got the, the numbers wrong, as in the spectators got the numbers wrong with all that was happening in that last over. I think Keith Austin was calling it. Yeah. And... Australia needed something like three runs to win, I think, or something like that. And when the ball was hit out to whoever was at long on or something, and 
I guess in the crowd's mind, they know that Australia won't get the run mm. to win. But they don't allow the game to, to, to finish. They, they, they literally, as soon as the ball is hit and, and it's not hit very hard, it's, it's not obviously it's not a boundary and it's sealed mm. by, I can't remember who did it, anyway, but it's joking, that's just what it is. So they invade the field because they, they're just overjoyed in their minds. But technically, they haven't allowed the game to finish. And the match referee decided that, listen, you know, we can't award the West Indies this game because this infraction happened before the game actually finished. And therefore, uh, the, the referee, I think, I can't remember who the match referee was. It might have been Darman. South African. But yeah, so it, it's a bit disappointing. I mean, selfishly, I, I kind of felt a little bit aggrieved given that mm. it was the first time I was being asked to captain the team. And I thought, you know, here it is. I, I could have walked away with a one day win as a, <laughs> as a captain in my first year. But, <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was certainly for me, it was a sign that. We needed to tighten up a few things in, in, in our cricket in, in the Caribbean. We can't have people in 1999 stopping a game like that, you know. And, and yeah, yeah, it, it, I, 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 that definitely wasn't a good advert for Western Indies cricket, you know. Um, I, I know there, there are many other grounds across the world where people had invaded the field when a game was over, and and that was a common sight. In many places, but in those places, they allow the game to finish. The game was over, and then everybody tries to grab a cap or a stump or something before or some piece of memorabilia. But um, yeah, it was by 1999. You're thinking, surely, you know, we can't can't be going through stuff like that. You know, this day and age where you you, you lose a result, you mm-hmm. fail to get a result because of of lack of security or just match day preparations aren't world class aren't what they should be so it in one sense it was it was yeah it, it looked a bit strange i was very disappointed at the end uh and even to this day i'm, I'm not, not not in terms of the whole captaincy thing it's just it just kind of looked bad you know yeah, i just yeah. thought you know this had happened in the 80s or 70s you thought okay fine kind of the time kind of thing what I remember thinking, you know, this is 1999. We're going to a World Cup in a month's time in England. Would, would this ever happen in, you know what I mean? It's yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah. Like, let's, let's, let's move on from this very quickly because it, it shouldn't happen. Yeah. Yeah. And, and captaincy in general, what was your, did you, did you like being the captain? Uh, did you, did you find it a burden? What, what, what was, what were the, some of, some of the things that you look back on uh, in your time as captain of the West Indies? I, mean, I think I think I went through the whole sort of kaleidoscope of emotions when in the in the year that I did it. Um, extremely proud to be asked to do it, um, and yeah, I, I enjoyed I enjoyed the decision making aspect of it. You know, the tactical side, the the, the, the managing of of players. We had a young team, mm. and I enjoyed working with you know your Chris Gales, your Wavell Hines, your Star Ones. Ryan King, you know, we had a bunch of young lads that were finding their feet at international level and, and I really enjoyed that dynamic, the relationship with these lads. Um, 
when 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 it ended, I was I was a little bit jaded because I was starting to see an underbelly of Westernish cricket that I didn't share the same values with, and and it. it I think the ending was actual perfect timing because the environment was, was something that I, 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 by then I didn't have any control of and I wasn't seeing things the same way as um, team management. Yeah. And when I went back home, no, even before I went to, to Australia, I realized I wasn't seeing things the same way as the power brokers in, in the game back home. And and I was too young at the time to understand what it meant in in the sort of short, medium, long term. But after retirement and, and you you sort of grow and you mature a little bit more and you and you reflect on the time. You think back and you sort of realize that there was always going to come a time when it the, 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 not just leadership, although leadership is one aspect of it, but, but we, we didn't have that much in common by way of values. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it, the, that, that tension just sort of, kept, you didn't notice it at first. And then it, it sort of just kept building throughout the, the year. And yeah, I, I'm glad I went through it because it's, it's taught me a hell of a lot about organizations, leadership, that, that kind of thing. Um, but it was uh, not to take away just the immense pride of, of being asked to captain your country, which, which you know, is, is, the, is the overriding memory for me. Yeah. And then I, I would also say that a tremendous amount of learning in that period, man management, leadership, um, governance, the, the whole world, some of which you, you learned years after because you, you didn't have a framework for what you were going to. Mm. And then as you got old and you developed these frameworks, you said, ah, okay, this is what it meant. You, you know what I mean? You start <laughs> yeah, to yeah. give some of these experiences more context. So it, it, it was a fantastic um, 12 months. I really enjoyed it. And, it, you know, challenging, but in a good way. And yeah, just the, the opportunity to, to, um, to lead a, a really fine bunch of lads who, who, you know, I still to this day think they're a great bunch of lads, everybody in their own way. And, and, and the learning that I got from it was invaluable as well. You know, the tremendous life lessons out of, out of that one sort of year of leadership. Yeah. yeah great, so, great. Positive experience. And, and yeah, it's really good. Yeah, sets set, set you up for, for life after cricket. And how, how has life after playing cricket been for Jimmy Adams, how how are you how you uh, how do you see yourself spending um, the next part of your life? Oh man, I've already started to spend it, man. I've been retired twenty something years. Is this one bite so quickly? Um, it's, it's, it's been it's been it's been all fun, man. To be honest, um, I spent a few years you know, doing a lot of media work and, and, and coaching. Yeah. And then, uh, and, I, and I thought I wound down my playing career gradually. So I stopped playing test cricket in 2001, but I played 
first-class cricket for a few more years in South Africa. And then when I stopped that, I still played a bit of professional cricket in England. So I, I didn't stop playing professionally until 2006, but I'd already started doing loads of media yeah. um, media work. And as all, I've always coached. Uh, I've always, you know, a lot of it at the time was, was private stuff uh, and to academies that, that I knew in various places. Yeah. And uh, and I took up a role in 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 Jamaica as technical director uh, yeah. in in my home country, and and I did that for a few years before then uh, taking up a role as a head coach at, at Kent in England, which I did for for five years, and and I've just finished a, a six and a half years stint as director of cricket with the CWI. So it's it's it's, it's it's been a mixed bag uh, between coaching, uh, media work, and and sort of a technical director's role at both first class and international level, and and it's been fun. Uh, I mean, I've enjoyed all the roles um, in different ways and for different reasons, uh, and it's always been sort of fresh and exciting, and you know, always something new happening. But I think more than anything else, is is I'm I'm very grateful to have been allowed to stay in the game. Mm. It's a game that I, 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 I love. And yeah, it's, it's, I think in a, in a very simplistic sense, just to wake up on the morning doing something that you enjoy, something that not many people in the world have. And I, my way of looking at it is, is I've never really had a bad day in the office. <laughs> as a player, as a coach, as an administrator, I've had disappointing days and I've had frustrating days, but I've never had a bad day. I've never had a day where you said, Jimmy, you've just gotten a pair at the MCG. Where else would you rather be in the world earning a living? And I'd, I'd say without thinking, you know, nowhere else. Yeah. Nowhere else. It's a, you know, it's a, it's a frustrating day, yes, in the office, but I've never had a bad day. And, and I think, it, you know, you look back on as you get older, you're looking back on more and more working years behind you. And, and just, you know, you look at other people who are doing jobs because they have to. Mm. And, and maybe don't have a real passion for what they're doing, but they're doing the right thing. They're working, you know, they're earning a living. And I just think to, to earn a living doing something that you, you like and enjoy and you, you enjoy the people around you for the most part is, is a gift. And, and I'm thankful for that. And uh, yeah, it's, it's been it's been a mixed bag since I retired, but in a good sense, uh, I've enjoyed it. Um, there hasn't been a period where I've been involved in an aspect of the game and and haven't really enjoyed it. You know, uh, while I was doing media, I, I got opportunities to coach, and I, I really enjoyed doing it. So when I got a a, a chance to do full time cricket development, high performance work, I I, I took it and. No regret. Um, I enjoyed media, but but yeah, the, 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 the high performance stuff really I found really uh, enjoyable. Yeah. Uh, so a, yeah, it's, it's it's been it's been it's been twenty years of fun since retirement. Twenty twenty three years. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. No regret. Yeah, a great great perspective and a a great attitude towards life in general. Uh, to to count your blessings and and be really thankful for 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 what you have and the opportunities. Mm-hmm that you have each day. Um, 
we, we yeah. run out of time, but to, to wrap things up, um, we'd love to know if, uh-huh. if if you could have a dream cricket net session, um, uh-huh. who, who are the three people that you would most like to, to hang out with at the cricket nets? Well, having had a chance as a kid to, 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 to net with, because when, when the Westerners would come into town, they would ask young kids to come and net with them and then you end up at the test match carrying drinks and so on. So I, I managed to experience that with my idols at the time who were Viv and Michael Holy. Wow. So that was, I thought I lived that dream as a 16, 17-year-old. However, so taking them out, I, I would love to have a net with Dan Bradman, George Headley, and Sir Richard Hadley. Oh yes, what a what a great mix. Well, I, I would be in charge of the net, and it would be seeing one of the greatest fast bowlers that I've ever seen bowling to two of the reputedly best batsmen <laughs> who I never did see. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, so it, it would probably it, it, it would solve one of the conundrums that I've wondered all these years about you know the 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 the, the, the how good people work across different eras you know yeah um, yeah. yeah so that that, that 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 would be my ideal net you know taking one of the best fast bowlers of a modern generation and sticking him up against two of the greatest batsmen from from that even right let's see which era was 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 the best if 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 they were you know yeah um, yeah. So yeah that would uh, be my dream net ah <laughs> uh, uh, that's brilliant Jimmy well thank you so much for sharing your story with us on on the cricket library podcast today it's been a real thrill for me to hear your story and I know our listeners will uh, really get a lot out of, of of what you've had to say so thanks so much for joining us no worries mate you take care and all the best now. A massive thanks to Jimmy Adams for joining us on this edition of the Cricket Library podcast. Wonderful to hear his story today and wonderful to have you, our loyal listeners, tuning in and able to share in it as well. A massive thanks to all of you who tune in to each and every episode. And if you're brand new to the show, make sure you check in with our back catalogue. Plenty of other great stories on the back catalogue for you to enjoy at your leisure. And this one is just one of many great stories that will hopefully inspire you to love the game even more. If you'd like to keep up with the latest from the Cricket Library podcast, head over to thecricketlibrary.com. But until next time, this has been Matt Ellis for the Cricket Library podcast. Bye for now.